on our guest speaker today. So the song, the words, he makes a way when there ain't no way. And uh, let me tell you about my Jesus. Well, Steve Beatty has some pretty serious roots here in this church body, uh, raised in a Christian family. And uh, I got stories about Steve, but they serve no purpose for this. Um, let's just say that Steve, uh, he was a goalie in high school, so we knew there was something deep about him there. And then uh, went off to college and, and got noticed on the political side of things and got invited to Washington and um, could have stayed there, but chose to serve the Lord at college uh, and kept going back to college and has an amazing ministry at Mankato State. So, Steve, come on up. Well, thanks, John. Nice to see you. Happy Father's Day. John Anderson taught me how to shake a hand properly, actually. Uh, Of course, my dad and mom did as well, but John was really the one that told me to not treat it like a dead fish, to grip it, to shake it. So so I always remember that when I come back and I see him and I get to shake his hand. Happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. look around the room and I see some fathers that had an important role in my upbringing here, so happy Father's Day to you. It is a special day. It's my mom's birthday as well. Happy birthday to mom. I know she loves attention, so we'll uh, put it on her. But happy Mother's Day, or happy Father's Day, Dad. Happy Mother's Day as well, and happy birthday. Happy Mother's to all you mothers who we missed. Um, Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's nice to be here. Nice to be in person. Good to see faces. Good to see face-to-face, as we were talking about in the adult uh, learning hour this morning. And if you're a guest here, hey, special welcome. I know it takes guts to step into a a church maybe for the first time or come back a few times, so a special welcome to you. Glad you're here and you've taken the risk to worship with us this morning. Hope you'll continue to find a a place here and feel welcome here. I, too, am a guest. We don't make it back as often as we'd like. I'm not the pastor. Uh, I don't work here. Uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Marlin this morning. He asked if I would give an update about our ministry and give the message this morning as well. So that's why we are here, and I'll introduce myself in, in just a moment. Um, but uh, first, I just want to share a little anecdotal story about Father's Day and about the influence and advice of, of parents and how important it is. And uh, When I was a kid growing up here on the range, uh, I was a Twins fan, still I'm a Twins fan. I know our season's nearly over now. Uh, this season, we're not doing very well. But there was a Twins autograph signing in Virginia, and uh, so my dad took me. And you had two options at the the Twins autograph signing. I think it might have been at the grocery store. But you could get Shane Mack to sign your stuff, or you could get Rod Carew or Tony Oliva. I don't even remember which one. It doesn't matter because they're both pretty legendary in my book. Uh, But you could stand in that line, or you could stand in the Shane Mack line. And eventually my persistence won out, and Dad kept trying to get me to stand in the Tony Oliva or Rod Carew line, and I, I said, nope, 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 Shane Mack. After all, he was a current player, right? And he was having a pretty good career up until that uh, silly strike in 94 that kind of changed it a little bit. But my persistence won out, and I stood in the Shane Mack line, and Dad, to his credit, he, um, he let me learn my lesson or uh, either suffer the consequences of now having a, a Shane Mack signed glove rather than a Rod Carew or Tony Oliva signed one. So thank you, Shane Mack. Happy baseball season to you baseball fans, and happy Father's Day. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for your influence over the years and for your investment in my life. 
I'm grateful for you, grateful to be here uh, because of you. So, my name is Steve Beatty, and uh, I bring you a very special uh, greeting from the exotic flat land of southern Minnesota. Uh, but I grew up in this church, and I came to faith in this church. This faith nurtured, uh, this church nurtured in me a faith that continues uh, to this day. And so I'm thankful for this church. And now my wife Kristen and I and our four kids live in Mankato, where we work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a ministry to college students and faculty. So yes, believe it or not, one of your ministries of the Embarrassed Evangelical Free Church is to the college world. By extension, uh, it is your ministry as well, and we are thankful uh, for that partnership. And so we work alongside students and faculty and InterVarsity staff, and our goal is to make the good news of Jesus Christ known on campus. And I say uh, that's at the very core of of everything uh, that we do, and I say that because the college and university campus can be sort of like a a buffet of options, and it's vying for the time and the interests of the people that spend time on campus. There's a lot of interests, a lot of priorities, and it's sort of like a buffet of options for you to choose and uh, choose your trajectory and and make your your own existence. Uh, But I will say that there is one host of the buffet and one lord of the buffet, one master, one king, and his name is Jesus Christ. And our goal is to make him known with as many people as possible uh, that come in contact with him. Now, this may be the understatement of the century, but it's been an interesting year and a half or so. Uh, It's been an interesting year and a half in our lives on campus and in our personal lives as well. And there's obviously a lot that we could talk about today, a lot of things that have happened in the world, a lot of things that are pertinent to us. Um, But I've been thinking about interruption, that word interruption. I've been thinking about what happens when someone is interrupted. Um, And I use the word interruption because it's got a very simple definition. Uh, The definition is really just the action of interrupting or being interrupted. It's really not positive or negative. But when I hear the word interrupting, I give it kind of a negative connotation, and I say, well, I don't want to give up my control, or I don't want to be interrupted. Leave me alone. I want to keep control over my life. But it's really not positive or negative. It just kind of is. It's the action of interrupting or being interrupted. And I'm positive that you've experienced some interruptions as well in your lives uh, this last year and these last few years as well. And so as we look to the scriptures this morning, there's many places that we probably could look, many stories, many people to hear their response and see what their action was out of interruption. But we're going to take a look at the, a little bit of, of Peter's letter. We're going to look at the life of Peter a little bit and see um, what his action and response was when he was interrupted. And I'm sure that he, he experienced some of those interruptions. I'm sure some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. And I'm positive that if he was standing here with us today, Peter would probably say that Jesus Christ interrupting his life was the best thing that ever happened to him, that it was a good thing. It was a good interruption. Changed his life. Jesus called him to follow him. And so from last September to May, my team has been thinking about 1 Peter and studying 1 Peter. We've been focusing on those five chapters, those 105 verses, uh, a few hours each week together, and then individually in our our own time as well. And um, we've been reflecting on it. So we're going to take a look at 1 Peter this morning. And uh, I just want to say at the outset, too, that Peter is an interesting character, right? You can read about him in the Gospels, read his letters. He's an interesting guy, interesting character. Uh, he's often a spokesman for the disciples, right? And he often almost has this sort of impulsive devotion to Jesus. 
We can see that over time when he sometimes maybe looks like he's putting his foot in his mouth or he's kind of jumping at the chance to show Jesus how much of a follower he, he is. And he's eventually referred to by Jesus, of course, as the rock that Jesus will build the church upon, right? So Peter's an interesting character, and uh, this morning we're going to take a look at just the first nine verses of First Peter. And I do want to say, too, that this is, these are words that benefit us. These are words that are, are written by uh, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. Um, so they certainly benefit us, but they were also written to a, a specific audience as well when Peter was writing his letter. So let me give us a little bit of background before we jump into the text. Now, it is widely held that this letter that, uh, that Peter's writing, the one that adorns his name, is in fact written by, by Peter, even though some would uh, disagree with that. But most folks agree that this is Peter writing, and that he's probably writing from Rome around the time 63 or 64 A.D., which for perspective gives us a sense, because that's right around the time that Paul was martyred. Um, and if you know anything about Roman history, Emperor Nero is reigning, right? And he is a guy that does not like Christians at all. Uh, it's a time of great persecution for Roman Christians, in fact, under Nero's reign. They're called atheists for rejecting the Roman gods. They were called cannibals for communion, right? The elements of remembering Jesus' body and his blood shed. They were called cannibals for remembering uh, during communion. They were called incestuous for saying things like, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister, as they extended greetings to one another in the faith, saying, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister. Uh, so they were mocked by uh, a large segment of the public in Rome. They were even um, murdered for public entertainment, and Nero used them to light uh, his torches, burn them alive. I know that's grave to hear, but some of the reality facing um, what Christians were facing in Rome. And so Peter's writing to a combination of Gentile and Jewish believers, right, in what is then known as Asia Minor, and for us, a part of modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to encourage them. And he's writing to say, hey, heads up, these things could be headed your way. What we're experiencing in Rome might be headed your way as well. And he's also writing to testify to God's grace and his goodness. So that gives us just a little bit of a sense of what Peter is writing about and what he's saying. That's some of the context. Would you join me in prayer before we open the scriptures and read them together? Father, we do pause before reading your word to give you thanks. We thank you for your written word in Jesus. We thank you for you, the living word, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, and that we have opportunity to know you. Lord, though we, though we have not seen you, that we can know you personally. We thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that we would have everything else stripped away from us uh, this morning. Lord, I even pray for my own heart as I think about this being a, a supporting church and my desire to want to do well. Would you strip that away from me and would just your word remain? Would your Holy Spirit convict and to teach and to encourage as we open up the scriptures today, this morning? We do give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so First Peter chapter 1, 1 through 9. If you have a Bible, feel free to follow along. If you use a device, electronic device, feel free to use that as well. This is what Peter says as he opens his letter. So it's Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ 
and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing that we see in reading the opening of Peter's letter is that he acknowledges the fact that he is an apostle of Jesus, right? He's someone who spent time with Jesus personally, watched his ministry. And he's writing to God's elect, those people that have been chosen. Maybe you've enjoyed watching the the TV show, The Chosen. But he's writing to the people that have been chosen. And who are the chosen? I think he's using a a way to say that the chosen folks are Israel, right? The people that God had made a, a covenant with all the way back to Abraham. And he's also saying it's the Gentiles now, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through that living hope, that new birth that we have through Jesus. And Peter calls them exiles, people that have been scattered, right, all over the known world, all over over Asia Minor. And as I thought about this letter, I think, boy, this kind of sounds like a letter written to college students. College students come from all over the place, domestic, international. They come to study. They come to teach. It's people from all over the place. And I was just reminded of the great opportunity that we can impact a lot of global change uh, through our universities and through the college uh, with the gospel, being able to be preached here, but also then carried back with folks as they head home. And I love this part that Peter comes to when he mentions all three persons of the Trinity. It's beautiful as they work in concert together. He says, the foreknowledge of God the Father the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the call to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. All three members of the Trinity, Peter mentions, working in concert together. And then he says this greeting, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And as I studied a little bit around this phrase, it was kind of a new phrase. You know, it's obviously coined by the Apostle Paul. He used it in most of his letters in some form or another, right? Grace and peace as he opened his letters And it combined the Greek-sounding grace-to-you blessing with the Jewish or Hebrew blessing of peace or shalom. So in one greeting, Peter and Paul, as well in his letters, they're sending a, a greeting saying, hey, this is a unified body of believers, of Jewish people and Gentile believers now coming together. And I think about the theological brilliance that they use to affirm uh, both audiences in their letters. And you think about the time that they're living in. There's a lot of churches starting up all over the known world, right? A lot of people coming together from different backgrounds, different ethnicities and cultures and traditions and religious beliefs. And so Paul and now Peter do a great job of saying, welcome, grace and peace to you. And then as we get to verse 3, we see that before Peter gets into everything he's about to say, 
regarding suffering and persevering, everything that's going to be coming in his letter. He says, praise God. Starts with, praise God. Peter's going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about what it looks like to persevere in that suffering, starting in verse 6 and then going throughout the letter. But it's important to me, at least, to see that Peter says, praise God first and foremost. And I think there's a lesson for us to be learned there as well. And he mentions it's the new birth into that living hope in Christ Jesus because of the resurrection, right? That we can praise God, that we can thank God. Think of the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in Philippians 2 and how he staked everything on, how God staked everything on um, the resurrection and on Jesus. God giving up his godness, in a sense, on defeating sin and death and having the resurrection be a reality. And I think about how we have that through Jesus Christ, that new birth and that living hope. Now, last summer and spring, last spring and summer, as we were preparing for our ministry on campus, we knew things were going to be different this year, obviously. We were in the midst of all sorts of changes in culture, and so we knew that there wouldn't be much happening in person. Uh, But one of the things that we do every year is we try to offer students practical tools and training to equip them for ministry on campus. And so we knew it would be different, but we weren't going to stop uh, training and equipping students uh, to lead ministry on campus and to partner alongside of them. And one of those students was Ellie. And Ellie is on the swim team, and um, she was leading her Bible study and continued to do so uh, through this past year. And as she did, she invited her friends to put their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, she did so repeatedly. She did it four times in fall semester alone. Normally we ask them to consider two times a semester, not because there's a magical formula or because, you know, two has really anything to do about anything. It's just so that students are being mindful that, hey, there are non-Christians among you. We should regularly be inviting them to consider faith in Jesus. And so Ellie did it four times. And when we asked her why, she said, well, I thought that was just the expectation. And she just kept doing it. She kept inviting her friends uh, to consider faith in Jesus Christ. And because of her and because of our other students that did this regularly and caringly and lovingly, we saw 13 students uh, give their lives to Christ this past year at MSU Mankato. That was in the midst of COVID. That was in the midst of shutdowns. That was in the midst of difficulty. That was in the midst of technology and using new tools, things like that. And it was just a reminder to us that God is not going to be stopped. No matter what's happening, no matter what's going on with our human experience, God has risked everything. He's given all of his godness in the form of Jesus Christ in the hope of defeating death and sin through the resurrection. And it was that reminder for us. Over the past 10 years, we've seen 49 students put their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ at MSU Mankato specifically. And so I did a little bit of the math, and that means that just this past year, seeing 13, that's over 26% of our new conversions just this last year through COVID, through using technology, through Zoom, things like that. So praise God who gives hope through a new living hope and a new birth. And then we come to verse 4. Peter talks about inheritance, mentions it twice in the span of ten words. What is this concept of inheritance? And I can tell you this, that working on a college campus, and I think many places, many voices in your world as well, there are a lot of places and and temptations uh, to want to put our inheritance in an earthly value. But Peter is reminding us here to put it in an eternal place. 
you know, the things and the stuff that we can't take with us when we depart these earthly dwellings, the stuff that all goes away, that stuff perishes, it spoils, it fades, Peter says. So he says, put your hope in an eternal inheritance. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be prudent with money or save for retirement uh, or put things away and, and use our resources for God's kingdom. I'm saying the opposite, actually. Um, but many times I think I can see in my own life where I flip-flop those goals, right? And I want to put my value and my hope in an earthly inheritance. The stuff, the things, the vacation. Man, do I want a vacation this year. I just want a vacation. I can put my hope in those things. I'm hanging on those things rather than hanging everything I have on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so Peter reminds us, he reminds us to put our hope in an eternal inheritance. And then he mentions in verse 5 how our inheritance is kept in heaven for those that through faith are shielded by God's power. And we'll come back to that idea of power in just a moment. But Peter says it's going to be revealed in the last time, right? That it's going to be the end result of our faith. The salvation of our souls will be the end result. And you think about that concept. The end result of our faith is that we get to spend an eternity with the Maker, with the Creator, in the company of hosts, the exiles, right, that Peter mentions, with each other, worshiping God for all time. And then look what Peter says in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That sounds like this past year, year and a half. There's been some grief for a little while. There's been some trials. That sounds to me like a lot to do with the human experience. That there are grief in trials that we face. And we had praise in the opening of the letter, and now Peter says rejoice. So we've got praise and rejoice. He's keeping it in front of us. Praise, rejoice. Let those things be defining hallmarks. And in the span of just a few sentences, Peter goes from talking about an idea of an inheritance, which is eternal, ongoing, right? This eternal inheritance, to talking about God's salvation being revealed in a very specific time, right? In the last time. And then he says, and now for a little while, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So in just a few sentences, Peter talks about three different perspectives of time for us to be reminded. Maybe a reminder of of what time is. Maybe it's a reminder to us of how fixated uh, we can be when it comes to time, right? As humans and certainly as Christians, I can almost come to worship and idolize time. Perhaps you relate to that as well. You think about retirement. When I get to retirement, I can do X, Y, and Z. My time is mine. I can do whatever I want. Or maybe as followers of Christ, we should just hope that Jesus returns because then everything is going to be really good. It's going to be all good if we can just get to that moment. Or even something as simple as, man, there's only this many days till summer. Or on the flip side of that, there's only a few days of summer left. Um, I really struggled with the balance of time uh, this past year as we went through our rhythms as a family, as I thought about work, as I thought about our family uh, time spent as I thought about school time and we were teaching kids school and we were juggling quarantines and um, things like that, I really struggled with the concept of time. And so I really uh, just noted places in my life where I was convicted of this idea of idolizing and worshiping time. And I think too often we we can idolize it and, and do that in a certain way. And it's important for us to remember, I was reminded of this fact, that the triune God created time itself. 
Time exists within the scope of who God is. God, time. Not time, God. God created time. He's not bound by time like we are. God always has been. He always will be. He always was. He's eternal. And so I think Peter is giving us an important reminder as he talks about time in multiple forms like we see him doing. This word stood out to me as well. Notice that Peter says, you may have had to suffer. You may have had to suffer. We are not robots. God created us individually and distinctly, and certain things affect us differently, right? Something might affect me differently than it affects you. God created us that way. So COVID may have affected us differently. Maybe some of us suffered. Maybe some of us different. The conversations around race and ethnicity in our country... Some may have suffered, and some do not. Following Christ in this world. That's my little buddy there. Um, Following Christ in this world. Some of us suffer even to the point of giving our lives for our faith, and others of us don't. We have relative freedom and comfort as we worship God. Some suffer, others do not. You may have had to suffer through these trials. And so Peter is reiterating that different items affect us differently. And as a Christian community, I think that we should support each other as we go through all these different kinds of trials that one of the hallmarks of who we are as followers of Christ is that we should be supporting one another. My belief about the kingdom of God is that wherever it is and whoever's in it, that things around it, the world around it, should be getting better, not worse off, because God's kingdom extends back into those dark places and wins back those places of darkness with light. That's part of God's kingdom and what it's doing. The rows were different. We didn't have chairs. We had pews then. But I remember sitting right over here somewhere when I was a little, little kid, and I remember mom crying with something. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a difficult testimony or if it was somebody had passed on to glory, but I remember her crying. And I remember, I think I was on my knees coloring or something, and I remember looking up and saying, Mom, why are you crying? You know, little kid. And she said something to the effect similar to Romans 12:15, that we rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we mourn with those who are mourning, right? We carry each other's burdens, just like Galatians 6, 2 says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Christian community, we should be supporting one another as we go through all kinds of trials, as Peter says. Whether it seems big, whether it seems small, whether you understand it or not, we should be supporting one another. It's one of our hallmarks. One of the places where we saw support happening this year and one of the places where I really enjoyed um, this past year watching kingdom light kind of shine into this place was working with faculty and professors. Faculty have an interesting uh, place on college and sometimes in the world as well. I don't know if any of you have ever been a, a faculty person or a professor, instructor, but they're often feared by students, often scrutinized by each other, depending on their career. They can be villainized by the public, right? Maybe some of us, even in the Christian public, it's easy for us to villainize uh, especially secular professors. But in the work that I've been doing with InterVarsity over the past 15, 16 years, I've discovered that they're often lonely, and people have taught me that they're often lonely, and that they need just as much compassion as students do as well. And perhaps, maybe even more so this year, as so many of them were teaching online. So recognizing the needs some of us staff from around the state of Minnesota, we decided to start a, um, and the fact that everybody was on Zoom pretty much, we decided to start a, a gathering for faculty and professors. 
And this was just a place that they could come. We would pray together. We would encourage one another. They could talk about their careers or what they're teaching or lack thereof. And it allowed us to be able to be connected closely in a way that geographical limitations obviously and often stop us. And at the end of one of our first gatherings, a family friend of ours and a professor at MSU Mankato exclaimed to me that, Steve, this was great. We need to do this on our campus as well. So even faculty have experienced trials in this past year as they've gone about their school year, we've discovered. Then getting back to the text we see in in verse 7, right? Peter's going to address this idea of the proven genuineness of your faith. I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase, why do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes I like to switch that around and say, why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> Jesus himself even talked about why you call anyone good uh, but God alone, right? But regardless of which way you phrase that question, Peter has an answer for us in verse 7. He says that these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ when he's revealed. In other words, these trials, they've come so that the faith that you profess to have will result in Jesus being praised, glorified, and honored. And to put it in another cultural expression, my team discovered that this is where the rubber meets the road. That no matter what comes your way, the substance of your faith will define how real that faith is. Do you know which country in the world the, the church is growing the fastest right now? It's Iran. Iran. And they have no buildings, no property, no centralized leadership. Much of the church in Iran is led by women who would suffer the worst consequences if it's found out that they've converted from Islam to Christianity. And yet it's the fastest growing church in the world right now. The second fastest is in Afghanistan. And it's largely because of the Iranian church ministering to their neighbor. Now, from a human standpoint, I don't think anybody wants to suffer through the quality of life that people in Iran or Afghanistan have suffered through, particularly probably in the last 50 years. That doesn't sound that appealing to us. But even when physical bodies suffer, the one that belongs to Christ Jesus finds the inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter is about to talk about in verse 8. We saw it in verse 5, right? The power piece, that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are shielded by God's power. So let me ask a question here. What happens when we as Christians, we as Christ followers, whether we suffer grief in all kinds of trials or not, what happens when we don't respond in glory, honor, and praise of King Jesus? What happens to the world around us? What happens to us? One of the results could be that the church's witness becomes lukewarm or potentially non-existent at all. When we resort to talking and acting like the world around us, we don't look like the church anymore. No matter what's facing us as humankind, we might run the risk of not looking like the church, but looking like the world. And if we were to hold up a collective mirror to the church collective face, we might not look like the church. We might look more like the world around us when we resort to not praising Jesus Christ, and giving him the glory and the honor. And one of the most disheartening realities for me in the last year and a half in our own church and just in our own community was watching as there was a mass exodus of folks who left the church 
over masks and things that affected us as humans. Notice I'm not even referring to it as the pandemic because I'm a little bit fearful that some of you might bristle at the fact that I said the word pandemic. But we watched as family after family left our church and went to other churches or left altogether because of masks. Not because of our theology, not because of our mission, not because of our devotion to Jesus Christ. That was one of the most disheartening realities for me in the last year and a half. And on the other hand, one of the places where I experienced most joy, that inexpressible and glorious joy, was watching as faithful followers of Christ continued to gather with each other any way they could, continued to serve each other, continued to serve those in need, right? As families were upended, as there were people that were experiencing ultimate hardship, that was one of the places where I saw the glorious, inexpressible joy that we have in Jesus Christ being lived out and worked out in the world around us. And church, I think that these trials, when and if they happen, they exist when we face them so that our result may be something where we give Jesus praise, glory, and honor, both right now as we live, but also eventually when Jesus is fully revealed. I think we have a call to do it now and to expect to do it in an eternal perspective as well. And if we're not doing that, it should probably cause us to question why. What's the reason that we are not giving Jesus the praise and the glory and the honor? We should be able to do it through anything, no matter what comes our way, no matter what we experience as humans. Okay, now we're coming to the closing section of this text, verse 8 and 9. And Peter knows some things about his audience. He knows that those that are listening to his letter, they've never seen Jesus face to face. They will never experience the pleasure of seeing Jesus face-to-face on earth. And he says, even though you don't see him now, right? He sets it up. Even though you don't see him now. You think of Hebrews 11, that Hall of Fame sort of story where you read about the people that have lived out their faith, right, without seeing. Think about John 20, where Jesus said it himself, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who won't see me and yet believe. They love Jesus. Peter's listeners love Jesus. And it's the big kind of love, that agape kind of love. It's the kind of love that's from God that he has for his creation. It's that sort of love that they're experiencing and wanting to have towards Jesus. And as we see in verse 9, we circle back around to that idea of inheritance, the end result of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. This is why the church exists in Iran, Afghanistan, and Kenya, Brazil, China, the United States, Embarrass, Minnesota. This is why the church exists, to make Jesus Christ known to whoever is around you. And it happens, though we have not seen Jesus face to face, though we haven't seen him, we love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For 2,000 years, people haven't seen Jesus Yet we continue to believe in him. We continue to have faith in him. That's remarkable for 2,000 years. It's that kind of joy that only the creator can bestow upon his creation. Whether you live in Iran and are threatened unto death because of your faith, whether you existed 2,000 years ago as a widow, putting your entire existence and faith in God, whether you're a rich person or a poor person in any point in history and you use your resources to benefit and extend God's kingdom, 
And even for us, who are living in this present age, though we have not seen Jesus face to face, dealing with all the things that we deal with, we continue to put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ, even though we have not seen him. It's that inexpressible, glorious joy that spans all people, all times. It links us together. The ones that, while here on earth, we've started to taste that inheritance, but we haven't quite yet fully realized its fullness and won't until we're with Jesus eternally. Friends, if you think of the ministry of InterVarsity, I'd ask that you'd pray for us in regards to some of the realities that we're facing as we step more fully back on campus this season. I believe our communities and the people on our campuses are going to be hungrier than maybe we, maybe ever since, we, uh, since a time like World War II experiencing a, a sort of hunger and a sort of longing for belonging and community. Only God knows what. But that's what we're hoping, that's what we're expecting. And so we'd ask for you to pray for revival on our campuses and in our communities. We'll do the same for you. And that's my hope for you, that as people step back in uh, to the church, as you minister in your communities, in your homes, in your workplaces, that there would be such a longing and a desire for people to belong to something, that they'd be so hungry that they would want to hear the gospel. That's our prayer for you as well, that we would see people experience conversion to Jesus Christ and also a deep and authentic discipleship to Jesus as they explore more about him. Well, in closing, I was thinking of Peter's life, all the places that we can see his different interactions uh, in the Gospels. And Luke 5 came to mind. And it's a, a time when Peter's known Jesus for about a year. So they're not new friends necessarily, right? Peter's been hanging out with Jesus for a little while. And there's a setting where Jesus is teaching large crowds, remember? And he says, he gets into a boat and he says, put it out from shore, Peter. He chooses Peter's boat. And he teaches them from the water. The great lakes in northern Minnesota, you know how well wa- uh, sound carries over water, right? So Jesus hops in a boat and he's teaching folks from the water. And I get the sense that, yes, the teaching of the crowds mattered, but what Jesus really wanted to do was teach Peter to change his life, to interrupt him. He had a lesson for Peter to learn. And verse 4 of Luke 5 says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Remember this story? Keep in mind, this is Peter's expertise. This is his livelihood. He's the expert here. He is the professional fisherman. And Jesus, the master, is saying to him, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon Peter answers and he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And the text says that when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they filled both boats so full that both boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I think Peter was starting to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the suffering servant that the Old Testament prophets talked about, the prophesied one who through God's timing is making all things new. And Peter hung out with him, spent time with him day to day, 
And he learned that he's the master. Even when it came to Peter's craft, his trade, that Peter was not the master. Jesus was still the master there. So my question for you is, what will you do when you experience an interruption? Whether it's because of the world around you, or whether it's because something that God has for you. Will you act like the rest of the world does? Or will you give Jesus Christ the praise and the glory and the honor? Will you look forward to that eternal inheritance that those who are shielded by God's power through faith can look forward to? We are so thankful for you and so thankful for your partnership in the gospel on campus. And we're so blessed to know that God continues to work out your faith and your ministry in northern Minnesota. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Would you please stand with us as we close out in worship?